Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome warriors. Tonight, our selection is from Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Tonight we'll be jumping into a bizarre story that just doesn't seem to make any sense on the surface. It has no chronological order to it, and the narrator often interferes with the story by appearing within the story and talking to the characters. Billy Pilgrim is a scrawny, goofy-looking youth from New York who had enrolled in university, and he's on his way to being an optometrist but he is soon drafted into World War II, and at the Battle of the Bulge in Belgium, he somehow becomes unstuck in time. He goes on an uncontrollable trip, back and forth from his birth in New York, to his own death, to life on a distant planet, and everything else in between. He's transported to his future optometry practice, and then back again just in time to be captured by German soldiers. Then he's transported to the future where he is abducted by aliens called the Tralfamadorians. He asks the Tralfamadorians why this was all happening to him. They simply responded by asking him why anything. Things just happen, alluding to a cosmic lack of meaning behind much of the universe. Eventually, he winds up back again in the war, in the midst of death. Then he is transported to another planet, where he winds up being kept as a zoo animal alongside a famous actress. He then is sent into the future, where he sees his death, and he's shot in the head by a gunman, hired by a resentful person that he met in the war. He is then transported to the war again, where he's being held as a prisoner of war by the Germans inside of a slaughterhouse. It's 1945, and the slaughterhouse is in Dresden, where the great firebombing of Dresden occurs all around him. He is one of the only survivors of the massacre because he was locked inside of that slaughterhouse he survives the war and makes it back to New York. And after years of silence on his experiences, he sneaks away from his family and goes on a talk radio show and divulges his experiences live on the air. At this point, Billy's daughter is at her wit's end with her father's odd behavior and just doesn't know what to do with him. So Billy makes a tape recording outlining the details of his own death, which he saw happen. 
in Chicago in the future, after the Chinese had firebombed the city. In the recording, Billy says that he will experience the violent hum of death and will skip back to a different point in his life because he had seen it all before, because aliens have been tossing him in and out of time. Billy is transported again to Dresden after the firebombing and wandering through the wreckage, he notices a bird calmly singing among the carnage. There's a lot more into the story and it's not an easy book to read. And though the author intended the book to be more or less about the senselessness of war, that's not the main takeaway for us here. You are a warrior and your role in life and your role in the history of mankind is important. That being said, the main sense of the story is that sometimes we are met with horrible things in life that just can't be reconciled. Though for Billy, the main character, it's the horrors of war that he can't reconcile or wrap his mind around or understand. But in general, the world does have its tragedy and inhumanity that sometimes can't be made right or fully processed through no matter how hard we try. Child soldiers killing each other, serial killers, human trafficking, gang violence, the cycle of poverty, natural disasters, disease, mental illness, humans acting like predators on other humans and exploiting them. We see these terrible things and when you get close to them, or even experience the abominable aspects of life, sometimes no amount of therapy or ayahuasca journeys and prayers can undo what can't be unseen. The existence of evil can wreak havoc on the mind and tear up a good heart. The only thing a warrior is left to do is to accept circumstances that happen in life and continue focusing on the good that's worth celebrating. Look around you and acknowledge the tragedy. Understand that there's only so much you could do and continue moving forward, embracing your path and becoming the best you. As always, you can read this book at any time in the future. And if you have some patience and enjoy some absurdity, it's worth the read. But this story is about a soldier who happens to be an optometrist and he helps us correct our vision of the world that we live in. And he reminds us that sometimes we can't reconcile terrible things that happen. All we can do is move forward on the warrior path, continue to be better every day and live life the best that we can. And as we continue, we can look at things in a different way. So relax and enjoy. We start with the author narrating the story about Billy. All this happened, more or less, the war parts anyway, are all pretty much true. One guy I knew really was shot in Dresden for taking a teapot that wasn't his. Another guy I knew really did threaten to have his personal enemies killed by hired gunmen after the war, and so on. I've changed all the names. I really did go back into Dresden with Guggenheim money 
God, I love it. 1967. It looked a lot like Dayton, Ohio. More open space than Dayton has. There must be tons of human bone meal in the ground. I went back there with an old war buddy, Bernard V. O'Hare, and we made friends with a taxi driver who took us to the slaughterhouse where we had been locked up at night as prisoners of war. His name was Gerard Mueller. He told us that he was a prisoner of the Americans for a while. We asked him how it was to live under communism, and he said that it was terrible at first because everybody had to work so hard and because there wasn't much shelter or food or clothing. But things were much better now. He had a pleasant little apartment, and his daughter was getting an excellent education. His mother was incinerated in the Dresden firestorm. So it goes, when I got home from the Second World War 23 years ago, I thought it would be easy for me to write about the destruction of Dresden, since all I would have to do would be to report what I had seen, and what I thought too, that it would be a masterpiece, or at least make me a lot of money, since the subject was so big. But not many words about Dresden came from my mind, then not enough to make them into a book anyway. And not many words come now, either, when I have become an old fart with his memories, and with his palm alls, with his son's full grown. I think of how useless the Dresden part of my memory has been, and yet how tempting Dresden has been to write about. There's nothing smart to say about the tragedy and horrors that we find in life. Logic just doesn't always apply. When you try to explain something that humans aren't built to describe in the first place, it just turns into a story like Slaughterhouse-Five, a timeline that's all messed up and filled with things that make no sense, and it falls at a loss of being able to communicate the gravity of the situation. The book itself is a massacre and has no cohesive timeline and events. And that explains how Billy must have felt about seeing what occurred in Dresden and what he experienced in the war. We live in a world sometimes that's so broken that you can't really pick up the pieces. The only choice left is to look at it differently. Not everything can fit neatly into our worldview. But Billy happens to be an optometrist, and by examining his outlook on his nonsensical experiences, he corrects our vision of the world and helps us to see that sometimes chaos just manifests, and there really isn't any reason behind it, or any good reason anyway. Let's continue with the story as Billy is ushered into a different point of his life. And Billy zoomed back in time to his infancy. He was a baby who had been bathed by his mother. Now his mother wrapped him in a towel, carried him into a rosy room that was filled with sunshine. He unwrapped him, laid him on the tickling towel, powdered him between his legs, and joked with him, patted him on his little jelly belly. Her palm on his little jelly belly made pooching sounds. Billy gurgled and cooed, and then Billy was a middle-aged optometrist again, playing hacker's golf this time 
on a blazing summer Sunday morning. Billy never went to church anymore. He was hacking with three optometrists. Billy was on the green in seven strokes. And it was his turn to putt. It was an eight-foot putt, and he made it. He bent over to take the ball out of the cup, and the sun went behind a cloud. Billy was momentarily dizzy. When he recovered, he wasn't at the golf course anymore. He was strapped to a yellow contour chair in a white chamber aboard a flying saucer, which was bound for Tralframador. Where am I? said Billy Pilgrim. Trapped in another blob of amber, Mr. Pilgrim, we are where we have to be just now 300 million miles from Earth, bound for a time warp which will get us to Tralframador in hours rather than centuries. How did I get here? It would take another Earthling to explain to you. Earthlings are great explainers. Explaining why this event is structured as it is. Telling how other events may be archived or avoided. I am Tralframadorian. Seeing all time as you might see a stretch of rocky mountains. All time is all time. It does not change. It does not lend itself to warnings or explanations. It simply is. Take it moment by moment, and you will find that, as we are all, bugs in amber. You sound to me as though you don't believe in free will, said Billy Pilgrim. If I hadn't spent so much time studying Earthlings, said the Tralframidorian, I wouldn't have any idea what was meant by free will. I've visited 31 inhabited planets in the universe, and I have studied reports in 100 more. Only Earth is there any talk of free will. Billy Pilgrim says the universe doesn't look like a lot of bright little dots to creatures from Tralframador. The creatures can see where each star has been and where it's going, so that the heavens are filled with rarefied luminous spaghetti. The Tralframidorians don't see human beings as two-legged creatures either. They see them as great millipedes with baby legs at one end and old people's legs at the other, says Billy Pilgrim. We see here that the aliens aren't bound by time and see everything as it happens at once. The perspective of the Tralframidorians isn't particularly inspiring. You choose the warrior path because you know that you can carve your own destiny, no matter what some aliens think. But the sheer absurdity of the experience highlights how there really isn't much that Billy can do. He's strapped in an alien spaceship, and he's been transported repeatedly throughout points of his life when he thought that he was in the middle of a war. Because he's been jumping in and out of time, and now hanging out with aliens, the only option to keep his sanity is just to roll with it and understand that some things can't be controlled. And the only thing he has left is to accept that and keep aware of things that can be changed. The story snaps back, and Jilly jumps back into the war. Billy went from total dark to total light. 
found himself back in the war, back in the de-lousing station again. The shower was over. An unseen hand had turned the water off. When Billy got his clothes back, they weren't any cleaner. But all the little animals that had been living in him were dead, so it goes. And then his new overcoat was thawed out and limp now. It was just too small for Billy. It was full of bullet holes. Billy Pilgrim dressed himself. He put on the little overcoat too. It split up the back and the shoulders. The sleeves came entirely free, so the coat became a fur-colored vest. It was meant to flare at its owner's waist, but the flaring took place at Billy's armpits. The Germans found him to be one of the most screamingly funny things they had seen in all of the Second World War. They laughed and laughed. So we see here that Billy is again in another difficult situation, being deloused and put to work as a prisoner of war. Because you choose to be great, you often find yourself in difficult circumstances. It comes with the territory. We know that Billy survives and makes it out, just as we know that you've made it out of your past predicaments and that you'll continue to make it out of your struggles that you face in the future. Some things just suck, but you gotta do it. And that's totally fine. Maybe it's cleaning the cat box for you or knowing that you're gonna be stuck in traffic for several hours. Or maybe it was the fact that your house was flooded and you've gotta go through everything and deal with insurance companies. Whatever it is, you've got it. And you'll come out of it on top, as you always do. And even though what you have to deal with sucks, you know that you have the strength to roll with it. The courage to have a positive attitude and mastery of yourself. To carry yourself and those around you through it. Let's continue. Billy found himself paired as a digger with the Maori man who had been captured at Torbuk. A German soldier with his flashlight went down into the darkness, was gone a long time. When he finally came back, he told the superior on the rim of the hole that there were dozens of bodies down there. They were sitting on benches. They were unmarked, so it goes. The superior said that the opening of the membrane should be enlarged and that a ladder should be put in the hole so that the bodies could be carried out. Thus began the first corpse mine in Dresden. There were hundreds of corpse mines operating by and by. They didn't smell bad at first, but then the bodies rotted, liquefied, and the stink was like roses and mustard gas. The Maori Billy had been working with died of dry heaps, after having been ordered to go down in the stink and work, he tore himself to pieces, thrown up and thrown up. So it goes. So a new technique was devised. Bodies weren't brought up anymore. They were cremated by the soldiers with flamethrowers. Right where they were, the soldiers stood outside the shelters, 
simply sent the fire in. Somewhere in the poor old high school teacher, Edgar Derby, was caught with a teapot. He had taken from the catacombs. He was arrested for plundering. He was tried and shot. So it goes. And somewhere in there was springtime. The corpse mines were closed down. The soldiers all left to fight the Russians. In the suburbs, the women and children dug rifle pits. Billy and the rest of his group were locked up in the stable in the suburbs. And then one morning, they got up to discover that the door was unlocked. The Second World War in Europe was over. Billy and the rest wandered out into the shady street. The trees were leafing out. There was nothing going on out there. No traffic of any kind. There was only one vehicle, an abandoned wagon, drawn by two horses. The wagon was green and coffin-shaped. Birds were talking. One bird said to Billy Pilgrim, Booty tweet! And this is how the book ends. Seemingly in nonsense. Billy didn't really have anything else to say. As he looked around the ruin and devastation of everything. He couldn't control what had happened. He couldn't form words to express what he'd seen. Maybe he tried, but it would have come out no more deep or wise than the words of the bird next to him. And what do you say after seeing an entire city leveled and thousands of lives destroyed? Warriors, you fight to be the best you and to be a leader and create good in the world. And that is an honorable thing. Sometimes we have the opportunity to reconcile with the terrible things in life, the things that we experience. And having that ability is awesome when it does come. And occasionally, there are things so tragic and horrible that there just isn't a way to explain it away or make it better. But what you can control is yourself, your outlook on life, and how you handle situations that arise. By making efforts to master yourself and become a stronger, more courageous you, the cataclysms of life are made that much more tolerable and the light that you shine into the darkness that much brighter. <laughs>